the closer that you're connected with the other individual, the more rapport that you have, the deeper you can get that conversation. The further apart that you are, then the more awkward it's going to be. Welcome to the Consistent and Predictable Income Community Podcast. The CPI methodology is the only system that teaches the proprietary process of CPI, which is the key to having consistent and predictable income for salespeople without letting time, money, and relationships fall through the cracks. The importance of a buyer's consultation and why you need one, Dan Roshorn of Consistent and Predictable Income Coaching shares a step-by-step guide on how to effectively conduct a buyer's consultation. Learn the step-by-step guide on how to effectively conduct a buyer's consultation in this new episode of Consistent and Predictable Income for Real Agents. My name is Dan Roshan. I'm the host of the CPI Podcast, which is the real estate show designed to help top producing agents leverage and scale your business, allowing you to earn more money in less time for seasoned agents to help you get to the next level of stable income and for new agents to help you find the right way to freedom and money so that each of you can reach your potential as a person and as a real estate agent, which means you'll have certainty in your future. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy the show. I think the only problem I'm having since I started doing uh, sales is... When do I drop in the uh, exclusive right and have them sign it? For buyers? Yes. Okay. So the process that I take, uh, and one I'm going to ask for you to take as well, John, is at the end of the consultation. Okay. So most agents don't do a consultation with buyers. So it gets awkward. All right. So now I know that you have a series of 17 different conversations to have. And I could demonstrate some of those for you guys today. So let me walk through the way that I, um, and you guys want to take some notes on this. By the way, I keep forgetting to ask, who here has read Real Estate Evolution? All right, so this is outlined in Real Estate Evolution, what I'm going to go through. It's a book that I authored. So in this book, I go through a buyer process. That's outlined on page 108 to 137. Okay. So there's almost 20 pages that's going to go through this consultation. And if you have read this book, I would ask that you consider to give us a review on Amazon. And even if you've read like partially through, it would be really, really, I would extraordinarily be grateful if you were to be willing to do that. John, so going through, there are 19 steps here that I outline. And I'll go through these and I'll read them to you. And so you'll see where, and the question is, when do I get hired? So when you're consulting a buyer, and if you don't have the book, then write this down. If you do have the book, I'm on page 109. So you're going to call the prospect within five minutes or less. And then you're going to complete the buyer's questionnaire. On the buyer's questionnaire, what do we want to get from the buyer through the questionnaire when we're having that original consultation with them? Conversation. What do you think we want to get from the buyer? Their wishes of what they want, what they don't want, where they want to live. Okay. What else do you want to get? That's correct. All right. So, Tiffany, so besides getting their desires, what's the second thing that you would want to get? Pretty important. Price range, how much they want to pay for mortgage? Uh, You're pretty close. 
what can they pay? And yeah, you do want to get their price range, right? But really, there's two ultimate things that I'm looking for in that buyer questionnaire. Number one is their motivation and their means. Everything that Tiffany just said about like how many bedrooms, how many baths, location, what the price range, et cetera, that's all going to fall in the motivation box. And then the second thing means is can they buy and you know, do they want to buy? So that's basically the two things you're looking for. All right. So then number three is when you're done speaking, you're going to summarize what they told you. So what I heard you say, Barb, is I heard you say that you're looking for a three-bedroom, two-bath townhome in the Atlanta area, in the North Carolina area, in the Raleigh area, and that you're looking for something in the 500-ish range, and that your time period is X. Do I understand you correctly? If you don't have the book, make sure you're writing this down. So step number three, summarize what you heard them say. Step number four. During that conversation, you're going to want to dig deep, as deep as you could possibly dig. So when they say to me, I'm looking for that three-bedroom, two-bath townhome, well, what's important to you about a three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhome? Now, what's required for me to dig deep? Kat, you uh, shared with us a demonstration of the lady that you spoke with yesterday. How would you describe that if you were to give it an adjective? The relationship that you had with her yesterday. We were definitely rapport. You were rapport and you were connected. Would you say that that's true? That's true. Yep. Okay. So the closer that you're connected with the other individual, the more rapport that you have, the deeper you can get that conversation. The further apart that you are, then the more awkward it's going to be. So you're looking for a three-bedroom, two-bath townhome. Great. So tell me more about that. What's important to you about that? These are the types of questions to dig deep. When you find that perfect dream home of yours, what will that do for you? Okay, so the answers to the deep questions are much more important than the answers to the surface level questions. Why do I say that? Because has anybody in this group ever had a buyer who on day one said they're looking for something and on day 90 buy something else? Has that occurred to anybody here? Yes? All right, like probably 100% of us. What causes us to miss that, right? Because what we do naturally is say, well, they're an idiot. They don't know what the heck they want. We blame it on them. That's just the reality of it, right? That's just human nature. There's no judgment on this, right? But that's what we do, okay? Yet, if you can really dive deep and understand like what's important to them, you may have less times that you end up 90 days from now in a completely different home than what they say on day one. Right, because you start identifying the real true desire, the real true motivation. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so you want to dive deep on this conversation. All right. Hey there, it's Dan. Excuse me for interrupting my own show. I just wanted to do so because I wanted to share with you. I was having a conversation with one of my buyer's agents, Lucia, the other day, and she was sharing with me she had a client that wrote an offer in today's market on 12 different homes and she did actually end up getting the uh, the last offer accepted so they didn't go and rent but maybe right now you may be in that same situation and maybe you in that same situation they did end up renting and i know that that can be like that can just suck well let me tell you since 2008 
there hasn't been a single month that I've missed a closing in real estate sales on an average of 10. And I want to share with you in the last one year, I've taken 79 listings by attending 93 listing appointments. I don't say that to brag. I say that to share with you that I know how to take listings in today's market. And I want to invite you, if you want to learn how to take listings in today's market, to join me at the five-day listing challenge coming up. You can visit www.5daylistingchallenge.com and learn how to take listings in today's market without having a cold call, door knock, or beg. That's www.5daylistingchallenge.com. Now, back to the most awesome real estate show ever, CPI Real Estate Podcast. Step number five, send them a Google Calendar invitation. I'll share with you what that looks like. Um, I don't help buyers. My team does, but I do help sellers. And so my invitations are going to be a little bit different. So Parwana, we look forward to helping you. It's that simple. Okay, here's the address. Uh, and there's a Zoom link in there. So last Saturday, Carrie, we look forward to helping you. And you can see that Carrie accepted this. What did I just get from Carrie? A yes. I got a yes. So that's sellers, but the same thing with a buyer. So Bob and Jane, I look forward to helping you. They say yes to that. What did you just get? Just got your first yes. Number six, you're going to film a short video and you're going to text it to them. So you can take your phone, you can turn it sideways, not up and down, sideways, horizontal, not vertical. You're going to look into the little eye hole up here. And you're going to press record on your camera in 10 seconds or less. You're going to record a video. John, it was great to speak with you. Look forward to helping you and talk to you on whatever date you just booked. Okay. So you're going to do a video. Hello. And you're going to send that to them. That was step number six. Step number seven, you're going to introduce them to a lender. Let me give you guys the script to be able to introduce them to a lender. This will happen during the conversation. Write this down. I have a lender who specializes in X. He or she has the best rates and terms in the business. I wouldn't mind introducing them to you. Would that be valuable to you? X is filling the gap of whatever their scenario is. First time home buyer, veteran, distressed home buyer, move up home buyer, move down home buyer, whatever the case may be that they're doing. I've got a lender who specializes in helping veterans. I've got a lender who specializes in helping people with really great credit like yours. I've got a lender who specializes in helping people with distressed credit. He's got the best rates and terms in the business. Why do I say he's got the best rates and terms in the business? So the reason why I do it is because that's what they're looking for. You want to give people what they're looking for. By the way, what's the buyer looking for? A home. So they're looking for a home. We're talking about the conversion process, right? But step back here for a second. Before you even get to the conversion process, they're looking for a home. So when you're approaching them, should you be saying, hey, here's how I can help you. Here's why people choose me. Or should you be saying, hey, I found a home you may be interested in. Would you like to talk? Which of those two approaches do you think would be more appropriate for a buyer? Number two, because what are they looking for? looking for a home. They don't believe that they need your help. Let's be real on it. They need your help. They'll appreciate your help. They'll love you to death, but that's not going to be till later. 
So understand where you're at in the relationship. You guys all good with that? Okay. So we're on step number seven. I just taught you how to introduce it to a lender. You do that during step number two, when you do the questionnaire, the text that you send to the lender. So you're going to text, send a text introduction. Mr. Lender, here is John. Then you say something nice about John. And then you say, John, here's Mr. Lender. Mr. Lender specializes in first-time homebuyers. He's got the best rates in terms of the business. Please let me know if I can further facilitate an introduction. Okay, so you do a text introduction. Why do you give a text introduction and you include your lender on that instead of just giving them the phone number? It gives the lender control. Because speed to the lead wins. And speed to lead in every single step of the process wins. So I want my lender on the phone with them in five minutes, if possible. Now they're not, you know, I don't expect for them to always be available, right? Okay, the intention of it is as quickly as possible. So I just got off the phone with the buyer. Now I'm getting to to the lender and I want to be working with a lender who's going to call them in a second when they can. Does that make sense to you guys? Instead of giving the number out and then hoping that they call the lender, you have no control over that. So the reason why you do that group message is to keep control for the lender. All right, you're going to set up a second conversation at the end of the first conversation is going to be a phone call. The second conversation is going to be a video text, a video conversation like this. Okay, so during that phone call, you qualify them for motivation and means. You're going to find out what types of homes they're looking for. And then you're going to set it up so that you can select around 12 homes or so. On the video, you're going to want to make certain that all the parties are on that video. So making sure that any purchasers on that video. Also, it could be somebody who is important in the transaction, yet not somebody that's in the transaction. What would an example of that be? Particularly for younger ladies. For younger ladies, I found that it's very, very common for them to want to be their dad uh, to be involved in it. Younger gentlemen, not as much, only because you know us men are knuckleheads and we think we have the world figured out at that age. So, but young ladies are smart and mature at that age, and they know that they need some help. And a lot of times it's going to be the dad that they're going to reach out to. All right. So make sure that any decision makers on that video call, sometimes if it's two spouses, I'd like to have a phone call conversation with the second spouse before the video consultation when possible. If that's not possible on the first conversation, I'm always going to ask this. Barb. That young gentleman who uh, was saying goodbye to you, what was his name? Joseph Fields. Joseph Fields. So, Barb, what, if I was talking to Joseph Fields right now, what would he say to me that's important to him? I'm going to say that to Barb, okay? And there's a couple of reasons why I'm going to say that to her. One is I want Barb to consider Joseph's perspective. Okay? Because sometimes, you know, when we're talking, it's just like, well, what's important to me? What's important to me? And there's another decision maker in here, and the decision maker is not even considering about the other person. So I want to make sure that Barb has an awareness that Joseph's as important as she is. Secondly, she may know what is important to him. She probably does because she looked like she's in a pretty happy relationship there, right? So I bet that she'd be able to answer that question. Now, sometimes you get the answer, and sometimes you definitely want to make sure you ask the other party later. Okay, but you're just at this point gathering data. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. I recently wrote the book, Real Estate Evolution, the 10-step guide to CPI. 
consistent and predictable income for real estate agents. I wrote this book because I have sold real estate since 2007 and developed an immense amount of experience and knowledge. During my journey, I've witnessed hundreds and maybe even thousands of real estate agents fail in this business. And I firmly believe that that's a shame. In Real Estate Evolution, I will show you the exact steps that I have used as a real estate salesperson to sell one to 15 homes every single month for the past 129 consecutive months. It took me more than two decades to learn the sales and persuasion techniques and more than one decade to master the real estate sales techniques to be able to produce the content that makes up this book. And it took me more than a year to write at a pace of three hours every single day. If you're a real estate agent and you're looking for consistent and predictable income in your business, I invite you to get the book, Real Estate Evolution. And you can get that by visiting www.therealestateevolution.com. And I'll even give it to you for free as long as you pay for the postage. Step number eight is we have the video consultation with them. That video consultation, remember we selected 10 to 12 homes. We're going to narrow that down to four to six homes. And we're going to go ahead and set up the showing. So during the phone conversation, the video conversation, you're going to have a certain amount of conversations with them to set their expectations of the future. Here's a couple of those conversations you're going to have. There's one that I call hitting the bullseye script. Mindy, thank you so much for taking the time to share with me exactly what you're looking for. And if that home exists, we're going to hit the bullseye. I promise you, because I'm out in the marketplace every single day of the week, or at least six days of the week. And I've been doing this for years and I know what exists in the marketplace, even things that are not on the market yet, things that you won't find on Zillow. Now, if it doesn't exist, then we're going to have to change one of three things, either price, location, or type of home. So instead of 550, we'll have to go back to the lender, maybe ask them if we can get the 575. Or instead of three bedrooms, maybe we're going to need a two-bedroom in Dan. Or maybe instead of this area of San Diego, we have to be in this area of San Diego. So that's the hitting the bullseye conversation. What did I just do in that conversation? I set it up so that if we go out two times or so and the home doesn't exist, now I have something to refer back to. And I could say, Mindy, we talked earlier, and I promise you, if the home exists, I'll hit the bullseye. Unfortunately, it looks like we're going to have to change one of those three things that we discussed. So should we adjust the price? Should we go back to the lender? Or should we look at maybe a little bit of a different home? Or should we look at maybe a little bit of a different location? What do you think? Now, what's the perception of who's in control when I ask that question? from the buyer's perspective, the mm -hmm. buyer, okay? I set it up so that I can ask that question because as their agent, any three of those things will get you where you want to go, which is to a closing. Does that make sense to you guys? So all these conversations happen up front. Another conversation that you're going to have. So Kat, as we go through taking a look at home, I want the two of you to print out a summary of each home that we're looking at. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you that on a clipboard, and I'm going to give each of you a pen, actually give them two pens, 
And then you have your own clipboard. You're going to have the information on your clipboard. You're going to have the agent synopsis and you're, they're going to have the uh, client synopsis. If that makes sense for your MLS, that's what makes sense for me. So you may have to translate that depending on your MLS. So Kat, so when we go through, I'm going to ask for you to do a couple of things. I'm going to ask for you to give the home a nickname. I'm going to ask for you to take notes. I'm going to ask for the two of you to actually not even talk to each other when we're in the home. At the end of the showing, I'm going to ask for you to rate the home a one to a five. Now, trust me, nobody ever rates it as a five. Typically, to write an offer that gets accepted, it's going to be a three, high three or four. Once we leave the home, then the two of you will go ahead and we'll compare notes. Does that sound fair? Yes, yes. Now, what did I just do there? I just set it up. There's a couple of ninja stuff things that I just did there. One is I set it up to avoid sabotage. I set it up so that one per party in the transaction can't overrule, can't influence unduly the other party. So I basically gave it so that they're blindly placing their comments on their own checklist. So then they have to come and they have to discuss it because if one marks it a two and one marks it a five, then we know that's not a go. And I say that in the setup for that as well. I say, listen, if one of you rates is less than a three, I don't care what the other one rates it as. Would it make sense that we could just agree to not move forward with this? Yes. Great. So again, you're preventing sabotage. Why did I say one to five instead of one to 10? Because I ruled out number five. So I just ruled out the top 20%. If I say one to 10, I rule out number 10. I'm only ruling out the top 10%. You guys see how that works? Next thing that I did on that, uh, there's one other thing that I wanted to share with you that I did there. Well, I did say when we write an offer, that gets accepted. So anytime as you're saying writing an offer, I want you to say that gets accepted on the end of that. I want that to be a part of your DNA. I want you to always say, write an offer that gets accepted. I can't even say write an offer because we don't want to write offers as agents, just so you guys know. You always want to be writing offers that get accepted. All right. The last thing that I said in there was a nickname for the home. What causes me to want to ask them to give it a nickname for the home? Because it allows for an emotional appeal to get connected to the home, right? So for example, they may say something like pretty pink bubblegum home. You know, I say pretty pink bubblegum home. You, know, you guys know why I say that? Because about 20 years ago, I was looking at a home and my wife and I called it the pretty pink bubblegum home. I went to a listing appointment like four doors down from that about maybe three months ago. Okay, so it will give it an emotional appeal. And yeah, sometimes they'll even remember it 20 years from now, what that nickname is. Okay, so that's the one to five showing script. So the other conversation that you're going to have with them is the home inspection conversation. So, Carl, one of the things that I want you to be prepared for is that we're going to protect you and your interests in this transaction. And what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to protect you so that we're going to get a home inspection. And at the very least, you're going to know exactly what's wrong with the home. We could perhaps ask the seller to repair those, or we can accept it as is, or we can maybe even ask them for some money to make the repairs. Now, depending on your marketplace right now, perhaps you're not asking for repairs with your home inspections uh, because it's a competitive marketplace. However, hopefully you're still doing an inspection just so that they at least know what the condition of the property is. So, Carl, when we go in there, the home inspector 100% of the time is going to be highlighting things that are wrong with that home. 
100% of the time. And what we want to be focused on is the big rocks. So things like the appliances, the HVAC, plumbing, electrical roof, the things that are going to cost you money if it's not in good working condition. What I would recommend for us to not do is to not come up with 87 different things on the home inspection request when we go through the home inspection to ask for the seller to repair 87 things. And some of them are probably you know not even a big deal. Does that make sense to you, Carl? Because I know that you wouldn't want to blow up a transaction, something that is meaningful to you. And oh, by the way, when we get that home inspection, it's going to be a couple of days after you, uh, after we go under contract. And I found that sometimes people are apprehensive, uh, have anxiety during this time period. I find that sometimes people are having second thoughts during this time period. It's perfectly natural if that's you. Okay, what did I do here? I set it up so they're not going to ask for 87 things on the home inspection. So you're helping to avoid that pitfall. I'm also setting it up so that when they do have that anxiety, the buyer's uh, remorse, the fear, et cetera, you've already labeled the emotion up front and now it's perfectly normal. So now that emotion is going to be less likely sabotage the deal. You guys follow me on that? Okay. So that's why you're labeling that emotion. So those are one other conversation I'll go through with you guys, and then we'll move to the next thing. Sharing the obstacles in the marketplace. I wrote this about 15 years ago when there was REOs and short sales in the marketplace, which really are not too relevant today. So I'll go through that quickly. I used to expand through a little bit more than this. But Mr. Spire, one of the things that we want to make certain is that we want to avoid some obstacles that may occur in the marketplace. Some of those may be bank-owned homes bank-owned properties, also known as REO or real estate-owned. And these are properties that when they're sold, they're often going to be distressed. You would often be competing with an investor. The contracts that we put together are going to protect the seller and not you uh, because the contract that we're going to write is going to be negated with the bank's own contract. You're going to be negotiating with an institution, not a person. And anytime that you say, "What wouldn't it make sense if the seller did this? I'm going to stop you right there and say, absolutely, but this none of this makes sense. So, Mr. Buyer, that is a foreclosure or bank-owned property. Short sale. Short sales are anything but short. Typically, I would say we want to stay away from them. Right now, it's the middle of the winter. And by the time we get an answer for this, it may be the time that we have the hot dogs on the grill, the sun visors on. And then we get an answer from the bank. And you know what they often will say? No. So what we want to avoid is that six months just to ultimately get a no. By the way, a short sale, Mr. Buyer, is when the bank is upside down or the seller's upside down on their mortgage, meaning they bought it for $400,000 and today it's worth $300,000. It's their attempt to negotiate with that bank to be able to forgive the difference of those two numbers. So they will list it for 300,000 and they'll hope to negotiate with the bank to forgive that $100,000 margin over top of it. And that's what we wanna avoid is the complications of that. Another thing that may be a complication throughout this process is a new home builder. When you go out to a new home builder, if you do, I want you to take this stack of my cards Give it to the new home builder's representative. And one thing I want you to understand is they're going to be making you all kinds of promises. 
They're going to be making you all kinds of gifts and everything. And it's going to make it look really, really good if you use their lender, et cetera. When they do that, I want you to consider one thing and one thing only. I want you to ask yourself a question. Who does that person you're speaking with work for? They work for the seller. So I caution you. That's why you're bringing me in is to represent you. I caution you on the conversations you have with them, not have conversations with them without me. That's what I'm here to do is to protect you. I work for you. And just like the bank owned properties, when you get the addendum back, it's going to protect their interests and not yours. And for example, if you go to closing, you know, two days late, you're going to owe them per diem, hundred bucks a day, $150 a day. If they don't deliver it on time, you get nothing. You get no recourse. I've got a buyer right now who's actually a seller building a home that he's bought that was supposed to be delivered to him eight months ago. Now, good news for him, the market's appreciated during the eight months. Okay. So he's actually in a fortunate position because he's going to end up with a lot more money, right? But guess what? That home builder is not paying him anything extra for those delays. The last challenge would be underwriting. Carl, even great buyers like you with good income and fantastic credit sometimes encounter challenges in transaction. About five or six days before the closing, the underwriter from the lender's company is going to come back and they're going to ask you for all kinds of bizarre paperwork. It is going to be frustrating. I want to set your expectations right now that that may occur. Okay, those are the challenges of the marketplace. I hope that you can see why we're having each one of those conversations so that we're, again, we're having it proactively up front before we get to the problem in the future. Hate the feeling of missing out and not knowing where to start? Aside from grabbing a copy of the Real Estate Evolution, the 10 step guide to CPI, we also encourage you to join our ever growing group the consistent and predictable income community. Apply for a membership on Facebook and visit us at thecpicommunity.com online to listen to our previous superstar interviews. This is Mitch Steven. You know, I had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing Dan Roshan. Dan is a top team leader in the DC area with Keller Williams. And he breaks down his journey. He's somebody that, you know, struggled for the first six months, like so many real estate agents do, and then something clicked. He helped me tremendously, specifically with creating systems in place. It's very important to have a process in place that works not just for you, but for also the client. If you are still listening, it is because you align with the CPI community. That means that you love to learn. You are ambitious, qualified, smart, and professional. Mostly, you understand that you're in charge to design your life. If you do not want to wait until next show is posted, I invite you right now to visit www.thecpicommunity.com, which is the official website of the CPI community. There, you'll have access to eavesdrop on past conversations I've had with the top salespeople, business owners, and entrepreneurs. The content is free and there's no opt-in. If you really want to hit the ground running, I encourage you to apply on the homepage of thecpicommunity.com to become CPI certified. It is a compensated service and those that have become certified have reported back that they have more than tripled their business sales and done so in 20% less time. 
The CPI certification is a part of the CPI curriculum, which is the blueprint where you will learn the proprietary process of CPI, which is the key to having consistent and predictable income for salespeople without letting time, money, and relationships fall through the cracks. Lastly, I invite for you to share this podcast with others who are competitive, love to learn, assertive, relationship-based, self-starters just like you so they can also benefit. And please leave us a rating or a review and subscribe now so that you'll be notified of the next show. Thank you again. I'll see you on the next show to your success.